0: Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org slash match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sussingham, and we're talking about the popular keto diet. Take a look at some of the plethora of keto cookbooks on Amazon. Quick and Easy Ketogenic Cooking, Southern Keto, Keto Restaurant Favorites, Keto Crock-Pot, Keto Instant Pot, Ketogenic Cleanse, Keto Comfort Foods. It's fair to say this is a diet craze, but does it really work? We're talking to Dom D'Agostino, Associate Professor of Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology at the University of South Florida and widely known keto expert. His colleague, Angela Poff, also with USF's Department of Molecular Pharmacology. She's a research associate studying non-toxic metabolic targeted therapies for cancer and neurological diseases. And Jenna Bell, Registered Dietitian, Triathlete, Nutrition Advisor, Senior Vice President at Pollock Communications. Thanks so much, for y'all, for being here.
1: We appreciate Thank being here. Thank you.
0: So I have to, full disclosure, I started a ketogenic diet about a month ago. Okay. Um, what I call a um, ketogenic-ish diet. I'm trying. (laughs) And um, I'll tell you a story. I went to the grocery store the first day to buy coconut cream and natural unsweetened peanut butter and all this weird stuff that I do not have at home. And I was putting it up on the thing and I see the woman behind me putting up ketogenic bars. And she said, oh, you know, I said, are you on the keto diet? She said, yes, I lost 30 pounds in three months. And then the cashier, the probably an eighteen-year-old guy, says, "I'm on the keto diet. I've lost eleven pounds in two weeks." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy!" You know, <laughs> in my in my little line, all three of us are starting this. So, I just want to know, Dom. Mm-hmm. First, just describe a little bit of the theory behind it, briefly, if you can.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I approach it more from a clinical perspective, uh, our main focus of the research that we do is preventing seizures. So developing mitigation strategies for oxygen toxicity seizures, which is a type of seizure that limits Navy SEAL diving.
0: But just let me let me stop you right now, before, yeah. because I know you have very sp- specific research that you're doing. But just if you could give me what is a keto diet, like what's happening to your body? What does yeah. it mean?
1: Yeah, a, keto diet, a ketogenic diet is essentially shifting your body's metabolism from a carbohydrate-burning uh, metabolism, so glucose would be your primary fuel, to a fatty acid and ketone metabolism. So, And you do that by shifting the macronutrient ratio of the foods, the fats, Uh, carbohydrates and proteins. So if you shift those ratios to specific ratios, that can shift your body to burning primarily fat and ketones as opposed to uh, primarily glucose. Your body always still burns glucose, but you burn preferentially more fat and ketone bodies as energy sources.
0: So you are trying to limit your sugar intake drastically your carbohydrate intake drastically compared to what your normal diet is so that your body starts burning your fat instead of glucose for energy?
1: You start eating yourself <laughs> instead <laughs> of, you know, so you uh, you always have a baseline. glucose. There's very powerful homeostatic mechanisms that maintain your blood glucose, and that doesn't go down much, but what does go down is the big spikes in glucose that you get postprandially. They are virtually abolished or significantly attenuated. So the suppression of the hormone insulin is what happens when you follow the diet, and by suppressing that hormone insulin, that liberates more fat, for fuel for your body and fat fat uh, burning in the liver produces these things called ketone bodies and they can largely replace glucose as a primary energy source for your brain so over time you have what's called keto adaptation and your brain adapts to using this fuel in place of glucose And you are essentially resilient against hypoglycemic dips during the day, which would trigger cravings. So that's why it has an appetite suppressing effect. So producing a calorie deficit and maintaining that deficit is a bit easier on low carb just because you are more resilient to uh, periodic episodes of hypoglycemia.
0: So just putting it in lay terms, um, (laughs) this thing that would happen to me where if I would get panicky. Like if I don't eat, I mean, it, it yeah. is really almost a panicky feeling. I think your blood sugar must mm. be very low. It's a
1: crisis situation. It is. <laughs> and if
0: you, if I didn't have some kind of like granola bar or something in my purse or in my glove compartment, you feel like I don't think I'm going to make it to the McDonald's <laughs> or whatever yeah. wherever you're going. But is that what you're talking about? You don't get those kind of spikes it, where it, you feel it, like you have to eat something right. Yes.
1: Then. It doesn't completely abolish that, but... It, by shifting, by making ketones available to your brain, that basically attenuates that crisis situation. If you didn't make ketones, and there's a disorder where you can't make ketones, you actually fall down and go into a seizure mm. because your brain is starved of energy. But it, it basically ensures that you have steady fuel flow to the brain. And I would argue that that's almost a natural state. We would, uh, we would ease in and out of ketosis depending on food availability, like our ancestors did. So to completely silence that through eating carbohydrate meals throughout the day that is a bit unnatural (laughs) so uh, periodically limiting glucose availability and making your body more metabolically flexible that's actually something uh, that's, that's actually pretty natural that we largely don't do today.
0: Right. So, so that's the theory behind yeah. the idea of this ketogenic diet. But Angela, have you, haven't you seen this just take off in recent years? <laughs> yes. Um, what, what do you think caused that, sparked this craze now?
2: Oh, that's a really great question. It's been interesting, you know, kind of watching it, I think, from our perspective. I've been working with Dom here at USF for going on a decade. Wow, (laughs) about a decade. Kind of crazy. Um, And it's funny because, you know, when we started, it was something that really, it wasn't a mainstream word. I mean, no one really knew about it. Um, and now, like you mentioned,
0: it's literally everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. Was there a particular it. celebrity that started <laughs> that maybe... Um, well, Science Friday,
1: this, I mean, <laughs> talked about David Ludwig, who basically yeah. is at Harvard and does a right. low-carb ketogenic diet. But, but that's but not
0: Taylor think, Swift.
1: No, yeah. honestly,
2: you know, <laughs> actually, Dr. D'Agostino, Dom here, actually was one of the really early um, scientists in the ketogenic space that started... Um, kind of speaking on a more, you know, mainstream platform to talk about the science that we're doing and the work that has been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are interested. I think I, I think a lot of the interest has come from, unfortunately, a lot of individuals have tried perpetually to, you know, alter their diet and lose weight and get healthier and see themselves failing at that um, endeavor every year and maybe are interested in just learning about a different option that could Could work for them. And Dom,
0: you were on the Joe Rogan podcast, and that has millions of (laughs) listeners. So that really would have helped get that going. And the Tim Ferriss podcast. I think,
1: and that was years ago. And the Google trends kind of shot up because his followers tend to be very, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, a group of people who really share this information. So it started taking off around that time. And I don't think it will be a fad because it works. So whenever you have something that really works and there's science behind it, so not only is the Google Trends going up, but the PubMed articles are skyrocketing, probably at the a sharper- The research, the scientific yeah, research articles. the published peer review mm-hmm. research is going on a trajectory that's probably a sharper incline than the PubMed. Search. So, so it'll be that science that'll basically help to promote the diet, and but- the influencers were doing it probably before the science.
0: (laughs) Jenna Bell, so you're a dietitian. So talk to me about um, this as a lifestyle. When you glance through the reviews of the Keto Diet Cookbooks, the Keto Diet books, and you see it referred to as a lifestyle more than a diet, what is that, what are they talking about?
3: You know, I think it does become a diet. I I mean, a lifestyle, like Don was saying, because you have to be conscious of it. And I think I'm really sparked by what you said that You know, feeling like you needed to eat, Mm -hmm. feeling like you had this short amount of time. Well, prior to being doing a keto diet, I think that what you also learn is you actually were not going to. So the number of restaurants that we have are not separating us from starvation. They're just feeding us when we probably don't need to be fed. It's like when I was growing up and we would be out and about and I would say, oh, I'm thirsty. My mom would say, close your mouth and make spit. We don't say that (laughs) to our kids anymore. We give them a water bottle it's probably not necessary but i think that it becomes a lifestyle and it's something that we've seen too as you're watching the growth from the scientific community um polycommunications we work with today's dietitian to do a survey of dietitians every year and the ketogenic diet was not even on the trends list 7 years ago so we asked them what's trending in nutrition what are you hearing from your con- from consumers and patients 7 years ago it didn't even make the list a couple years ago it appeared and this year it's number one. So we've got ketogenic diet, still plant-based, and the third is now intermittent fasting, which is similar to what you were talking about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we've learned that cell turnover <laughs> might not be what we want to have aggressive, be so aggressive about. We don't want to be feeding all of the time. Um, and I think it will be a lifestyle change because we do have this... Um, people might breakfast and brunch, and mm-hmm. we have the five you know, square three square meals, thats that's gone. Um, surveys show that snacks are what people are doing, and a lot of that's driven by millennials. So millennials are choosing health, wanting to get healthier, owning it more than previous generations, and then also snacking throughout the day. So maybe um, paying more attention to their hunger, but then also um, enjoying like smaller bouts of food throughout the day.
0: Let me ask you something about that survey. Um, so, number one trend, and they surveyed hundreds and hundreds of people, over a thousand people. Yeah, I this know. year we
3: had close to 2,000 dietitians respond.
0: Number one trend is the keto diet. Number two is, is plant based eating. Mm-hmm. And three was intermittent fasting. What I wanted to ask you was how does the plant based eating fit in with keto? Now, keto is all about meat and fat. So,
3: is it harder for vegetarians to be on the keto diet? Yeah, isn't it interesting because it while well, the ketotarian diet, that's interesting. <laughs> so the ketotarian diet is looking at it, how can we achieve ketosis but emphasize our fats from plant-based sources and avoid um I think that early on Keto diet for weight loss was um, a salami and cheese diet, but now it's not necessarily that. So there's books written now and cookbooks to go with them that talk more about how do you get more olives, how do you find, um, how do you include avocado in different recipes, rather than just emphasizing um, a, a high fat animal fat source or mm-hmm. um, choosing to, to have meat. So plant based and clean eating are the two things that kind of like intersect this intermittent fasting and keto craze. And this, you know, the, the excitement for ketogenic eating. Um, and you'll see that in the supermarket. You see it in restaurants that and actually Forbes magazine this week said that vegan is the diet of the year. Like 2019 will be the year of vegan. Not for me. And that's, <laughs> well, and it's interesting, right? Because a lot of foods even still don't want to talk about when, you know, they, a, that a recipe is vegan or vegetarian. I have a client mm. that's a plant-based food, um, a commodity food. And they said that you, we are going to have lots of recipes that are vegetarian, but please don't call them that. Hmm. It's interesting how we are contradicting ourselves.
0: Well, another thing I wanted to bring up from that survey was that in the survey of the food purchase drivers, taste came in at number four
1: for
3: food.
0: Taste was number four. Number one was convenience, then healthfulness, then cost, then finally taste.
3: This is phenomenal. And maybe it's just in the world of um, nutrition (laughs) trends, but we think it's it's ne- that's never. Dietitians are hearing from consumers now that healthy is more important to them than how something tastes. Um, I think that it's hard to know what, what drove that. Um, certainly, it's the recognition that food is not just functional. Food is not just medicine. Food is like the solution to wellness. I think that's where we're moving now um, more towards thinking of it as whole body health rather than just, I have this, I will treat it with this. Mm. Um, And it is, yeah, it's it's very interesting that the changes that we're going through with how we view food. So we posted on WUSF's
0: Facebook page saying we were doing this show on dieting and asking for people's experiences. And Chris Cowell wrote, here's a radical idea, exercise and eating a well-balanced diet that includes plenty of vegetables. So thank you, Chris, for writing. And that makes sense, of course. You know, Dom, why can't Mm -hmm. it just be that simple?
1: Yeah, and it can be. (laughs) I think people make diet a little more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, From a medical standpoint, it's unfortunate that, uh, and I am out of med school, that they get very little uh, nutrition education. Uh, doctors do, and and that's that's huge. Nutrition is the foundation of wellness, so the information that we're putting out there is probably not not very good. Uh, that that people are looking and reading, so it, it really depends on the demographic. So we talked about. Um, taste being a driver and number four, but I think taste may be a a number one driver for a fairly large demographic of people who just reach for things that look good. (laughs) So I don't know where those numbers came from, but that kind of popped in to my mind. But there is definitely a shift towards using nutrition for wellness. And that has not reached the medical schools yet, but uh, people are taking sort of their, their health in their own hands and learning about nutrition and what would be ideal to eat and when it comes to, I guess, weight loss is the big thing, you know, many people can lose weight. The problem is um, keeping the weight off and sustaining that weight loss over time. So from my perspective, just shifting from a western diet to a whole foods-based diet that does have, you know, veggies and fruits and veggies and whole foods instead of processed foods is a step in that direction. Uh, If you are impatient and want to lose (laughs) fat as fast as possible and get your body weight uh, under control and maintained, I think a low-carbohydrate diet that's devoid of processed grains and sugars uh, is a step in the right direction. And a ketogenic diet is an extreme version of low-carb. That could also be – it's more of a medical diet that was based for seizure control, but is also a version of the diet that works remarkably well for weight loss and also blood glucose. Glucose management. So there's different versions of of different diets. So there's many forms of ketogenic diets. There's many forms you could do a plant based uh, ketogenic diet. That was one of our first blog articles in keto nutrition uh, website that I have. Um, So really I think the the guy has a very good good, uh, suggestion there, but it might not be feasible for everyone in the population, certain demographics, to base their diet off fresh vegetables and fruits they just may not have access to it you know.
0: A couple points there so uh, the keto diet discourages fruit and a lot of vegetables because they have carbs Uh, banana I real I used to eat a banana every day really what does it have 35 (laughs) carbs or something and that's what you're supposed to eat in a whole day is like 35 carbs so that was disappointing and apples Mm -hmm. and lots of things have high carbs Sweet potatoes, which are so good for you, are high-carb. So parsnips, which I love. So a lot of the things that are healthy, if you're on a ketogenic diet, those are also high-carb. So that's a little difficult. And also, you mentioned demographics. um, And, you know, I'm a little frustrated because my husband and I went on this diet at the same time. And um, he immediately lost 12 pounds. And um, I am female and lost... If I squint at the scale (laughs) and look at it just right, I might have lost a pound. So I think that men and women are definitely different when it comes to this diet. Angela, have you found that? Uh, y- you know,
2: I think that's probably true. I think more than anything, there's just a unique um, response that any individual will have. Some people do seem to respond very well to the ketogenic diet, but it's not always the case. It's not a blanket, I think, one-size-fits-all fit all, um, thing. And I think, you know, to what Dom was talking about, customizing the diet to something that is... Um, doable, sustainable for you individually? And does that mean setting your carbohydrate intake at you know, 50 net grams of carbohydrate. Are you able to do that and maintain the benefits that you want? Is your, you know, your health um, markers that you're looking at? Are, are those improving like you want them to be? Are you meet, meeting your goals? Because some people can have higher carbohydrate intake, especially if you're younger or you're an athlete. A lot of individuals actually that are athletes and doing keto are still actually consuming a fair amount of carbohydrates, especially, like, you know, timed around their, um, their exercises. So, I think that, you know, thinking about the ketogenic diet as kind of this um, very, very strict it is, but you can incorporate a fair amount of vegetables. They might it might not be the whole plethora of vegetables that you're choosing from. You might be doing a lot of you know leafy green, high fiber vegetables, and less um, of maybe other colored vegetables. You might have more berries as opposed to you know bananas. But I think it's uh, it's something that is quite customizable, and people can find what works for
0: them. Just a new thing to think about. Yeah. But I guess once you get used to it, it gets easier. And mm-hmm. Angela. You've done research on breast cancer, right? And the ketogenic
2: diet? Yes. So, actually, most of the work that we've done um, with cancer is uh, with brain cancer. So, um, brain cancer. Yes. We are doing a study currently on a breast cancer model. But, Mm -hmm. um, ketogenic diet as a potential adjuvant for cancer therapy is actually a really hot topic in cancer metabolism research right now. There's a history going back at least 15 years of. Preclinical studies, and now we're seeing small case re- case reports and small clinical trials looking at this intervention. Um, and we there's definitely a lot of really encouraging preliminary work sh- suggesting that there might be a nice place for this.
0: So promising work on. Humans or just lab so rats? So
2: in lab rats and mice primarily, um, we now probably have about 25 25 clinical to 30 trials.
1: registered clinical trials mm-hmm. and some of them like throughout the United States. So yeah. these are like registered clinical trials right now using the ketogenic diet, uh, either as a standalone when chemotherapy has failed or mm-hmm. Uh, most likely as an adjuvant to existing forms of therapy for everything from endometrial to you know, lung cancer to a lot of brain cancer studies. So yeah, when I got into this, maybe one or two registered clinical trials and now about 20 to 30 registered clinical trials. And it takes a long time for these trials to be completed, for the data to be written up. So over the next five to 10 years, you'll see the all these dozens of studies that are currently going on you'll see the data sort of hitting pubmed and we'll get a general consensus as to as to the efficacy of so this and what types of cancer it can mm-hmm. be efficacious for
0: Okay. So the idea is that glucose feeds tumors. Is that it? And then cutting back on the, does that, simple? I know that's simple, but.
1: Yeah. Insulin's a major driver. So if our insulin levels are high, uh, pretty much all the major drivers of cancer growth and proliferation are linked to insulin signaling. Like the PI3 kinase uh, studies that were published, like New York Times published an article about a particular drug class. It's very promising. And that drug actually does not work without the presence of a ketogenic diet therapy along with it so uh, so that's very interesting so there's a, a there's therapies that are out there that may not be working that in this case a very promising therapy mm-hmm. by uh, Lewis Cantley uh, that is actually much more efficacious or Efficacious, you know, it's not at all until it's utilized with the ketogenic diet. So that's uh, a very promising area of research is using this diet to sensitize tumors uh, so that other forms of therapy can work. Mm -hmm. So to further augment the therapeutic efficacy of existing therapies.
0: Okay, but we really haven't seen the clinical studies come back yet. You're just saying they're promising. Yeah,
1: the the animal work, the pilot studies, and a few clinical trials Mm -hmm. that have been published.
0: Jenna, people often fail to keep their resolutions because they create a goal of weight loss, but they don't create an action plan to get there. Is that one reason that people don't lose weight?
3: I think that that is part of it, is having... I think that if you want to build a house, you want to make sure that you have the tools to do so. And actually, there's a lot of things available to us now. So registered dietitians throughout the years have always recommended a food journal. It's still considered a great tool to have a diary that where you can actually like observe what you're what you're consuming. Um, now we have apps, so we have you know, apps that you can use to set your goals and track what you're eating and. Um, you know, all over the place, whether it's syncing with your watch or independent something I track bites or something online that you can use. These tools are simple, but it is really helpful to have something prepared. So I think recipe books are still valuable. I think a lot a lot of people are also using Pinterest to get recipes. You think a recipe? That's not a tool. It absolutely is because when you're faced with a grocery store purchase and you're not sure sh- you're sure what you're going to eat, you know, go back to, you know, we're progressing in the science, but we go old school when we want to apply it. So we want to look at meal plans. We want to create a grocery list. We want to look at how do we journal what we consume so we can kind of be like um, be visual about what it is that we're consuming and see where we might have some um, differences in what we eat. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things accessible now. And I think that that's part of it. I think the other part in, in setting a goal, however, is we so often set a goal to quit something and without proper replacement, quitting is awful. It, quitting can be awesome, actually. You know, I've, I've actually, I signed up for an Ironman that I didn't do, and it, I felt awesome not doing it, you know, I so feel I felt like a too. really good quitter. You know, like I... <laughs> I have done a couple, but I but I didn't show up for this one race. Mm-hmm. However- oh, I understand that, for sure. <laughs> but having positive behavior. So instead of saying, what do I wanna cut out or what do I not want, I wanna lose weight, say this is what I wanna to add to my life. It's like when people are looking at smoking cessation. Pick something that you add because disease prevention is really not going to get you there. I'm adding more time. I have less of this to worry about. I have, you know, so looking at how can we make this an improvement rather than a um, a punishment.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think being specific also helps. If you think, well, not I'm just going to lose weight this year, but by March 14th when I go on vacation, I want to lose 10 pounds. So you you know you're specific about mm-hmm. what the goal is, when it is. It doesn't maybe that also can help. Mm -hmm. Um, So we really haven't had the ketogenic diet around, you said seven years ago, it wasn't even on this list of hot topics. Yes, dietitians weren't
3: hearing their consumers talk about it. So
0: what I'm wondering, Dom, is has it been around long enough to look at long-term effects, especially Mm -hmm. a strict ketogenic diet where you're not eating a lot of fruit and vegetables?
1: It's a good question, and I think it needs to be... uh, carefully examined the long-term effects of the diet. I mean, we do know the the Mayo Clinic sort of uh, worked and established this diet in the early 1920s, and uh, it was the standard of care for epilepsy until drugs came along, and then it was revived by Jim Abrams uh, of the Charlie Foundation, Hollywood producer, and then Meryl Streep did a movie about the ketogenic diet. It was called First Do No Harm. Uh, Many people don't know that Meryl Streep (laughs) was an advocate of the diet and did a movie about it. Uh, And then people started following it. Johns Hopkins started putting a lot of patients on it. And we have records of those patients over decades of time and followed them, uh, their atherogenic profile, their lipid profiles, things like that over time. And uh, generally speaking, all biomarkers go in the right direction. So paradoxically, triglycerides go down (laughs) when you do a ketogenic diet, especially in adults, because Your body, in a normal diet, you're eating carbohydrates, so if you eat fat, your blood fats stay elevated over time. But by suppressing the hormone insulin, if you eat fat, your cells become hungry for fat, so we pulled it out of the blood. So triglycerides tend to go down, you tend to have a mild calorie restriction and that helps facilitate that. Hemoglobin A1c goes down. Uh, HS uh, C reactive protein, our inflammatory markers go down, uh, which is a good thing. And insulin too goes down. And HDL, our bad cholesterol or good cholesterol rather, tends to go up a little bit. What one biomarker that is of a concern to a lot of people is LDL cholesterol, and. Uh, there, the subfraction of LDL, the the larger, more fluffy molecule, tends to be the one that's predominantly elevated in people who are on these high-fat, low-carb diets, and uh, and it tends to go up. And doctors tend to worry about the elevation of LDL, but in the context of other biomarkers going in the right direction, I don't think there's a concern for that as much of a concern. That there that there needs to be, but in some people it goes up really high, and we don't know what the elevated LDL means in the context of a low carb diet because the studies have not been done yet.
0: So they haven't looked at the rate of heart attack or stroke in that population. Has it been any different or anything? Has there been any alarm bells that have gone off?
1: Not with the clinically implemented ketogenic diet, <laughs> which is you know has helps a lot of patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is data by several groups looking at people who were obese and type two diabetic to begin with. And because the ketogenic diet allowed them to lose weight and maintain that weight loss or regulate their blood glucose, their outcomes are more positive. Uh, But if you take an everyday healthy person (laughs) who's athletic and then follows a ketogenic diet, that's a new scenario that really didn't exist before. And I could say, I'm generally always a healthy weight, although my weight's kind of higher. Uh, but my biomarkers for health have improved over time, and a lot of people, dozens, if not hundreds, of people that I communicate with that are not using the keto diet for the medical management of something, just for you know, athletic or just to have more energy, their general, you know, biomarkers of health look to be good over time. But I, I do think, we need to fund a study for things that are not necessarily medical management of something. But I think the weight loss data and and also the work that uh, is published on Verda Health website, they are using a low-carb diet for uh, carbohydrate intolerance, essentially, type 2 diabetes, which… They have demonstrated um, you can control blood glucose in type 2 diabetic patients in about 85 to 87% of the, the cases, either get them completely off insulin or drugs or significantly reduce it over time using an app-based system. So essentially tracking, which is super, if you don't examine your diet, it's really hard to make improvements if you don't know you know, what you're eating to begin with. So you really need to examine what you're eating and track it, and then I think that gives people a sense of control. And I think that goes a long way, independent of keto or any kind of specific diet. If they just track their food and they have an idea of what they're eating, they tend to uh, be more successful for their goals. But if you do that combined with keto, then I think you can really make a lot of weight loss. Goals. And I and
0: I think that's part of the popularity. I think that millennials and younger are really uh, liking this mindfulness um, side of things. And that's part of this diet. You're actually, because when you said you have to track what you're eating, you're actually sort of paying attention to what what you're eating, sort of like on a kosher diet or something, mm-hmm. which people who are on it feel that it's a form of mindfulness and appreciation of, of what, you're, what you're eating. Jenna, as a dietitian, what do you think people should be cautious about um, going into something like this?
3: Well, I think it's always important to, I mean, Obviously, talk to your, your healthcare professionals. You know, it's always important to keep your you know doctor up to date, even if he or she isn't really up to date on their nutrition knowledge. Um, I think that seeking guidance from a registered dietitian is extremely helpful. Um, I think that doing you know self study makes a lot of sense too, because again, it gives you that sense of control. Um, but we can't all be expected to become experts. It's interesting, right, that we expect for everyone to be experts in nutrition, but yet if something goes wrong with my plumbing, nobody expects me to know what to do with it. Um, and I mean in my house. That was a dietician joke there. But um, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a good one. And it was a good one, wasn't it? Just, it, was very, it was organic as well. Um, you know, I think that, um, it, I think we have to look at what we're eating first. We need to figure out what our goals are. And I think of the ketogenic diet or any extreme weight loss diet that is a huge shift in what you're currently doing is you have an issue of harm reduction where you are that you're, you're trying to address. So is your blood glucose been diagnosed as high at rest? Um, do you have a blood pressure issue? Is it a lipid profile imbalance that you're dealing with? Are you overweight in a way that's actually going to affect your health, um, that actually is going to contribute to metabolic syndrome in some way? And then looking at which diets, um, or lowering your you know your intake, um, and then you can look at the macronutrients. You can you know I, people always ask me that there's got to be a right and wrong, and whether you like it or not, there are a million different diets to be healthy on. So people are like, oh god, the paleo, that's bad, right? No, probably not. And for someone else, you know, Mediterranean, with the emphasis with some grains, are going to also be healthy. Um, a DASH diet that helps you reduce your blood pressure, that has a diverse number of foods in it, too. So it's kind of like what Dom and Angela were saying. You do have to have some individuality here. Um, and so if you decide to take on a keto diet, you want to make sure that you're eating a um, you know, sufficient calories. You want to make sure you have sufficient food intake so that you are meeting your, your nutrient needs. That's where a dietician can be very helpful. Um, you don't want to slip into that fear of eating so that you don't eat enough and then you do find yourself fatigued or suffering from what happens if you have insufficient protein intake and, you know, all of a sudden your hair is looking ratty and you just, you can't maintain muscle and you keep falling asleep. Um, so you have to be, it, th- it sounds exhausting, all of the individual factors that you have to consider. But um, think of it as like a new, your a next step in understanding, you know, how your body functions.
0: Don't go crazy. Yeah. Um, so, but when you see the weight falling off, it is really encouraging. And I, I don't understand the difference. Like, Dom, talk about how you eat. Because it's not just the ketogenic diet. It is this intermittent fasting, that's also so popular now. In other words, don't feel like you have to eat breakfast because it's breakfast time. Mm -hmm. Think about whether you really are hungry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, on the weekends, I pretty much eat whatever I want when I'm hungry. And yesterday was a weekend and I didn't have my first meal until 1 p.m. And I had a salad. I tend to eat more vegetables on a ketogenic diet than I did on a regular (laughs) Western kind of diet uh, in the the form of salads. And um, I had grass-fed beef. I buy it from a uh, company called ButcherBox. And so I tend to be a little more mindful about the types of foods that I'm putting into my body as far as the types of meat and the types of fish um, and the types of vegetables too. Uh, And I I feel that if the nutrition content of the food that I'm eating is high, that tends to signal my body that it's actually in a fed state, that the nutritional status, I think if our nutritional status is high and we're getting the nutrition that we need, we tend to get less hungry. And uh, and I also feel no doubt that a higher fat meal has a satiating effect, so you can decrease uh, meal frequency. And that becomes very liberating. So I'm not I'm not hungry. So if I'm doing something working on a paper or grant where I don't want to take my mental focus off of that particular task, I don't have to take time out of my day to prepare food, to eat the food, to clean up after. That's a good hour of time. So I tend to uh, save a lot of time. And I also feel like. I'm a little bit – I have a, an edge if I'm a little bit hungry going throughout the day, uh, not, not starving or not, not nutrient or calorie depleted. But if I'm just in a fed state from the day before and I'm using sort of that nutrition, I feel like my body is being f- fueled off the food I ate yesterday right? So if I have a big day coming up where I know I'm going to be busy, I'll eat a little bit more the day before. And I can fast throughout the day, and I feel more sharper, and I get things done better. So, Well, so you're
0: very disciplined. Um, and one thing I wanted to ask you, um, the whole point of the ketogenic diet is to put your body into ketosis, where you're producing ketones, right? And these can be measured. They, they sell these strips that you can, I guess, you... In your you, urine yeah, or something, you pieces, or blood. So or, you well, can you, use urine would be easier. A blood meter yes. or
1: <laughs> <laughs> we like blood. Oh, so, you yeah. like blood? Well, I don't <laughs> in know. lab,
0: we'll do that at home. <laughs> okay. But but um, what about just taking ketone supplements? What about um, and then not worrying so much about cutting your carbs and doing all that hard part? What about <laughs> just taking more ketones and getting? Can you get there that way? Yeah. So that's actually something that we
2: study in the (laughs) lab. um, And we call them exogenous ketones. So the word exogenous means from outside. Mm -hmm. Endogenous would mean the ketones that you're producing yourself. So if you're eating a ketogenic diet and your body is making its own ketones in the liver from the fat stores on your body, but also the fat that you're consuming, that would be endogenously produced ketones. Mm -hmm. And then exogenous would be what you're asking about, you know, taking a drink. And, you know, the reason that these actually were developed is because over the past You know, decade or so, we've begun to realize that these ketone molecules themselves actually have many benefits associated with them. So they're definitely a lot more than just a energy molecule that provides energy. They actually have signaling properties. So they, for example, interact directly with our DNA to alter gene expression. Uh, This is actually an aspect of something that's being studied as why they may impact, uh, ketosis may impact cancer, for example, because you can literally alter the genes that are being expressed. And as we know, gene expression changes is a big issue in cancer. Um, They also directly interact with other proteins within our cells and in our blood to suppress inflammation. So there's something called the inflammasome that um, gets activated. It's part of our immune system. It gets activated and incites inflammation, and it's a normal part of our immune system. But in a state of hyperglycemia, so chronically elevated blood glucose, uh, obesity, many diseases, aging. This inflammasome is overactive and starts damaging our healthy tissues as well. And we, just over the past few years, have learned that the primary ketone can actually block assembly of that inflammasome.
1: Independent and, of diet, I would like to add. So yes. eating a standard diet, adding ketones as a supplement. Yes. Uh, does that, oh, sorry no, to good. interrupt. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, you're totally fine. Well, <laughs> that's a well good point. You, so you're talking about disease. Um,
2: but that's in- even, that happens in aging. That happens if you're, you know... Uh, obese or overweight, and you you have these chronic inflammatory conditions.
1: Always going on. Yes. So you could have a viral, you could have uh, mm-hmm. some kind of virus, whether it be, uh, you know, HSV or something like that, causing chronic chronic inflammation. inflammation and HSV. Acti- yeah, HSV and, and well, activating these pathways. Or herpes simplex virus mm-hmm. or uh, Epstein-Barr or, mm-hmm. you know, various viruses cause mm-hmm. uh systemic inflammation and environmental, you know, things cause systemic inflammation, high blood glucose causes systemic inflammation and activates the hub, this inflammasome, the NLRP3 inflammasome that is suppressed with this natural metabolite that we make, beta-hydroxybutyrate, we could take it in supplement form, much like we could take creatine monohydrate as a supplement form. That is Everyone would agree that's the most effective nutrition supplement on the market right now for strength performance is creatine monohydrate. So ketones are a natural metabolite. So our body makes creatine, right? And we can take it in supplemental form. Our body can make ketones and we can take that in supplemental form. And many of the benefits that we get from fasting actually may be from ketones. So Yale did some research on that, and we collaborated with them and published a paper in Nature Medicine showing that elevating that beta-hydroxybutyrate suppresses those inflammatory pathways and in many ways mimics uh, a calorie restriction or fasting state independent of that calorie restriction and fasting. So that's a pretty profound effect. It was in animal models. Uh, We study supplemental ketones in the context of an anti-seizure effect, so development developing them for warfighter applications, for example, preventing oxygen toxicity seizures. So most of the research that we do is funded by the Navy, the the Office of Navy Research, to develop these uh, – Uh, what I call the fourth macronutrient. So your macronutrients, right, are fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Ketones are calorie-containing energetic molecules with very powerful signaling effects that can be used as a fuel, an alternative fuel for the body and the brain. Your brain has incredible metabolic flexibility and can run off glucose or ketones as it does in a fasting state. But we can give exogenous ketones as an alternative energy uh, substrate, much like a hybrid engine of a car, to fuel our bodies and our brains. I would
2: would say, importantly, as we age, um, research shows that our brains become less um, efficient at burning glucose for energy. So uh, there's actually a lot of research in humans uh, done by a colleague of ours, Dr. Stephen Cunane, um, and he has shown that in the aging brain, and this is true to an even greater extent in early stage dementias or, for example, Alzheimer's disease, the brain becomes less and less capable of normal glucose uptake and metabolism, seems to retain its capabilities of normally metabolizing ketones. They are Mm -hmm. processed differently. It's a little bit of a simpler process for for the neurons and the supporting um, cells in the brain to utilize those ketones, and that might be part of why that's the case. But there's a lot of active research showing um, investigating If provision of ketones, maybe in an exogenous form or through a diet-induced ketosis, to the brain as we age and in those um, conditions, would it help just supply energy to our most energetically demanding organ in our bodies,
0: which is our brain? So let me ask you, can we take it as a supplement right now? Can we go into the drugstore and get ketones? Uh, it called? Yeah,
1: I think there. So yeah, there's a couple on the market. Uh, Ketogenics is one. Uh, KetoLogic. Uh, there's a company called Prove It, and they make uh, ketone supplements. The most effective would be uh, a ketone exogenous ketone supplement in the form of a salt, combined with a ketogenic fat like medium chain triglycerides. If you take a ketone salt by itself, it may not be as effective, but if you deliver it with a natural form of fat like MCTs, you are naturally stimulating your own ketone production with ketogenic fats. MCTs are derived from coconut oil while delivering exogenous ketones at the same time. So it delays gastric absorption sort of and prolongs the elevation and sustains the elevation of ketones in the blood. So from a therapeutic perspective, uh, from an appetite-suppressing perspective, perspective, from an energy perspective, uh, they can be utilized in the middle of the day. They do not, they tend to actually lower blood glucose so that many, 50% of the population above 50 or 60 have elevated blood glucose. So these are supplements that I c- could actually be used to help regulate your blood glucose too. So that's one of the more powerful effects of these.
3: So would you lose weight?
1: Uh, I believe that you would. Uh, can yeah. you,
3: how do, how can consumers know it's working?
1: Oh, okay. So I feel like that's what you're that's saying. That's a like, very if you take good a supplement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So consumers, uh, there are ketone supplements on the market. And the good thing about the ketone supplements on the market is that there are commercially available blood ketone meters that you can get at any Walgreens or CVS that measure beta hydroxybutyrate. And you can consume the supplement and then measure... Uh, the blood levels of beta-hydroxybutyrate to confirm that you are indeed getting a product that uh, that has the active ingredient in it. So beta-hydroxybutyrate, there's a lot of science behind it showing that that particular molecule has remarkable signaling properties and can also uh, energize the brain in ways, can be a fuel for the brain. So it's it's nice because I don't know of any mm-hmm. supplements on the market right now where you can get a commercially available kit and for a few bucks actually measure your blood to determine the levels in it i think that's a very unique supplement in that way
2: and it sounds like something that people wouldn't want to do but you would be surprised oh yeah, a finger prick like a blood glucose the yeah. community they're kind of all about it <laughs> so people are they don't mind pricking their fingers all over the place and yeah like a diabetic does and, yeah so yeah. It,
1: you don't feel it's a very small finger prick yeah. and one drop of blood and you put yeah. it on a on a little stick that goes into the meter. The same meter that measures glucose can measure ketones an Abbott Precision Extra Meter, and they're found pretty much everywhere. And you can validate whether or not your ketone supplement is legitimate. But Mm -hmm. we have ones that we tested on uh, ketonutrition.org, and this, you know, not all of them are created equal. (laughs) So, uh, we only like to promote – we don't sell any ketone supplements, but we like to promote the ones that we think are efficacious. Let me
0: let me ask you about that. So you have that website, ketonutrition.org, and when I clicked on it, I did see ads. Um, yeah. So are you selling Different things, different products, and and how does that work? Because it seems like it could be a conflict of interest in your research, and then it could be,
1: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, our university, I work with a team almost weekly, if not daily, sometimes uh, on conflict of interest stuff because the University of South Florida has various patents on ketone technologies, and although I do not own the patents, the university owns them. I am an inventor on them, and when someone purchases a product like keygenics uh, a portion of that, the sales actually go to the university and the inventor gets some too. So uh, that is a conflict of interest. I like to uh, donate the funds back to the university so we can use the funds from those products to drive research. It's a relatively small amount and not all, most of the products on there are not linked to any of the patents, uh, uh, some some maybe. Uh, but we, what we try to promote on that website is mostly sort of educational purposes, but The products on that website are things that we believe in, the things that I personally use myself, and a few of the products may be related to patents that are at the University of South Florida. All right. And I think we do have a disclaimer on there, but mm -hmm. yeah, we should probably get that. Thank you for for (laughs) clearing
0: that up. And um, I'm getting the signal that it's about time to wrap up. But I have to ask, when we're talking, I'm a food lover. um, We're going to be having a new food podcast coming out of WSF pretty soon. But when we're talking about food almost as medicine, like we're doing, doesn't it kind of take some of the romance out of eating? I mean, it's almost like... Having sex because you didn't get to the gym that day. I mean, it sort of takes a little bit of uh, you're
3: fighting lot, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, you know, I don't think it takes all the romance out. I think it makes it part of your lifestyle. You know, I've done a lot of work with fitness professionals and presenting to personal trainers and working with professional athletes and. They genuinely have a good time with it. And so while we might – it used to be, remember, it was like the boiled chicken. They just had a box of boiled chicken with them. So now there's a little bit more creativity. But it was something that they genuinely enjoyed. They saw the difference in their workout. Like their own personal measurements, um, you know, made a difference. Um, You know, we do – or, you know, whether it's your workout, like having these small um, changes and these small goals. And I think that our the population now, even the, you know, Gen Xers like me, um, we're working out at a different kind of level now. We're athletes in sports that we may have never even tried. Um, I work out with a whole bunch of um, really fit people at the body shop in St. Petersburg, and they look for small changes. And so it doesn't it doesn't take it all of the the, Julia Childs out of it necessarily. And they, you know, it sparks fun conversation and, oh, did you try this new kind of this new breakfast or, you know, what are you eating? And so it's actually something that we've turned into um, something that might bring us together. That's how I'd mm-hmm. like to think mm-hmm. of it. A
0: different kind of enjoyment. Yeah, so. I think yes.
1: mindful, whole food eating uh, can be and should be pleasurable. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, eating should be a source of pleasure. And I think for me, the ketogenic diet is very indulgent because I'm eating things that I avoided for many years, like butter and you know fats and things like that, like you know the skin on the chicken, fatty cuts of meat. So for me, it's quite an indulgent diet.
2: Yeah. And I think that actually for a lot of people switching to a more whole food based diet or perhaps a ketogenic diet would actually increase the amount of time that they spend probably cooking, preparing whole foods. And that I feel like has a lot of romance to it, too. And just being able to spend that time with your family, your loved ones, actually caring about what you are preparing and consuming yourself, thinking of it as an investment for your long term health rather than running by
0: McDonald's after work. Angela Poff is a research associate with USF's Department of Molecular Pharmacology. We've also been with Dom D'Agostino, an an associate professor of molecular pharmacology and physiology at USF and a keto expert. And Jenna Bell, a registered dietitian, a triathlete, and a nutrition advisor. Thank you all so much for being with me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is Craig George. The producer is Stephanie Colombini. I'm Robin Sussingham. Thanks for listening. Ooh, that was a long one.
3: That was <laughs> awesome.
2: Yeah, <that's> great. <laughs>